I love it when uh, Paul and Andrew and our other gifted musicians are, are playing because I can pitch in whatever key I like and they rescue me. Uh, so fabulously grateful. Let's just show our appreciation to our musicians and our techies uh, this morning. Well, for those of you I don't know, uh, my name's Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of uh, being involved in the leadership of the church at CBC. And it's always a privilege to be able to open up God's Word to, to speak. Uh, the last time I remember leading worship outdoors in heat like this, it was a really tough gig. Uh, I'd had to spend seven days enduring the heat and the luxury of Arizona. It was so difficult, uh, all to speak for about 20 minutes at a wedding service uh, of some friends. It was such a brilliant occasion, and it was just as warm as this. Well, one of the, the many, one another passages in the Bible that we come to today, uh, another well-known one another command which, at least in my experience, actually is quite difficult to put into practice, is the one we're thinking of today. It's to serve one another humbly in love. In our scripture reading today, the Apostle Paul not only commands that we serve one another, but he also tells us why serving each other is such a difficult thing to do. Well, if you've got a Bible, let's turn together to Galatians chapter 5. I think this is on the back of your song sheet as well, if you want to have a look. We're reading from verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Well done with uh, good motives, of course, uh, service to others is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Maybe you can think of a time in your own life when another person has served you in some way and it's been just the thing you needed at just the right moment in time and you've been blessed. However, done badly, of course, another person's service can pour yet more fuel onto an already raging fire of stress and anxiety and strain in life. On occasions, if we're really honest, another person's service can be overwhelming, can be mistimed and even unwanted. I wonder if you've ever, ever had anyone serve you only to make things feel worse. Well, whenever people have babies in the life of the church here at CBC, it's a very common practice for us to try and provide meals for them for the week or the weeks after that baby's been born. And there's always a very clear instruction that goes with those people who have so generously cooked and then delivered these meals. And the instructions are so clear. Deliver it quickly and leave. Do not outstay your welcome despite your generosity. Now there's a very good reason for this instruction. I'll never forget the time when in our previous church someone uh, kindly visited us a few days after Toby, our eldest child, had been born. Meg and I were exhausted new parents. Baby-induced sleepless nights were a brand new experience for us. 
And our visitor came in the late afternoon, the worst time possible, and stayed for more than two hours. No amount of yawning, saying, right then, it's been so lovely to see you, or even appearing in the room wearing our pyjamas and switching the lights off, uh, seemed to give this individual the hint that he should leave. To be honest, it was all rather unfortunate. His attempt to bless us, bless him, became something of a curse. His heart was definitely in the right place, but his execution was somewhat lacking. Maybe you can think of a similar experience in your own life. The flip side, of course, is equally possible, isn't it? Sometimes the problem actually lies with us. Sometimes our attempt at serving another person can leave us feeling really disappointing, can leave us feeling like we hadn't wished we hadn't bothered because we haven't been appreciated. Sometimes even we serve with motives that are wrong. Again, maybe you can think of an occasion when you've sought to serve another person from a willing heart in love and that act of service was unnoticed or it was unappreciated or at least not appreciated with the fanfare you wanted it to be greeted with. It's possible, of course, that you may even been, of give, been, been giving to another person out of an empty tank and you left yourself feeling absolutely exhausted, maybe even on the edge of burnout as a consequence. So what should a, a healthy servant's heart look like? How do we live out this biblical command to minister to the needs of others without at the same time neglecting our own needs? Is burnout an inevitable consequence of serving other people? Is a burnt-out servant actually the sign of an effective servant in the kingdom of God? Well, I think our text goes some way to answering all of those questions. Now, if ever you've read any of the writings of the Apostle Paul before, you'll know well that they're full of conjunctives and qualifiers, buts, therefores, consequences and ifs. And our text today is no exception. In our scripture reading this morning, Paul quickly includes a contrasting but in verse 13. But, he says, but do not indulge, uh, use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Or put another way, Paul is saying here, do not get, use your God-given, Christ-earned freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and therefore by doing that, destroy your freedom. Immediately before this but, Paul has been saying that those who have become Christians uh, should not live, live lives that are burdened as slaves to the rules and to the regulations of others. Instead, we could argue, he's saying, we're free to do what we want, any old time. Recognise the song? No. Okay, don't worry. I'd sing it to you, but that's not going well this morning. But immediately after this but, in verse 13, Paul says about as clearly as he possibly can that we're not to use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever we want, but instead we're to use our Christ-given freedom for a purpose, to serve one another humbly in love. His argument here is that serving others in love is the way that our freedom in Christ can grow. He's saying here, this is but one way that we can serve others, and by serving others, in fact, we're serving our God. Well, in verse 14, Paul quotes words from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, words that are often referred to as the golden rule. 
And what he's arguing here is that everything, everything we know about the application of God's word can be summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. Now, of course, Paul is in really good company, isn't he, when he's quoting the golden rule because Jesus quoted it in his Sermon on the Mount. So we can be sure that this rule really matters deeply to the heart of God. Why? Because Jesus quoted it as important and Paul backs up Jesus by quoting it as well. Now, if you read through Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, you'll see the logic of Paul's argument as his argument builds. There's been all sorts of talk up to this point of the law versus grace, of works versus faith. But in the end, says Paul, all this talk up until now has brought us to this point here in chapter 5, and it's brought us back to the golden rule. We're to love others as we love ourselves. The challenge for the church in Galatia, and I believe God's challenge for us at the church here at CBC, as we come out of lockdown, is to turn this command to love others as we love ourselves into action. We've already thought this morning about at least one of the ways we can do that, by wearing a face covering. We're loving others as we love ourselves by that very action. But Paul's point is that we're to be as concerned about another person's well-being as we are about our own. Now, I find that, sh that statement rather shocking. How is that even possible, to love another person as we love ourselves? I don't know about you, I love myself a lot. Who said, I've noticed? <laughs> I wonder if you know anyone who perfectly lives out this command to love others as they love themselves. There's no doubt, is there, that this is a, a really tough call. It seems like the very thing I want to do, and yet it's the very thing I don't want to do, all at the same time. It seems so simple, and yet it demands so much. If I'm really honest, when I think about this command, there's a war going on inside my mind between my desires and my actions. And maybe this is true for you, I know sometimes it's true for me, so often my, des my desires are annihilated by my inaction. Sometimes I, I can relate to Jonah, God says go this way and, and I go that way. Paul knew this problem, for, the do, the, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I do do, this I keep doing. Paul could identify with the problem that I'm speaking about and I find that quite reassuring. Serve one another humbly in love. Such a simple thing to say, but such a difficult thing to live out. And in our text this morning, Paul tells us why it's such a challenge. And he says it's a challenge because this is a battle. This is a war that we're engaged in. How can we wake up each day thinking about somebody else rather than thinking about ourselves? While jumping next to verse 15, Paul's making the point that our waking thought is more likely to be about, about biting, devouring and destroying one another, or we could simply say about thinking about ourselves, than it is about loving, serving and blessing another person. Now that's probably an exaggeration of your average walk on a good day. But hopefully you see the point that Paul is making here. This is a battle, there's a tension uh, as we wrestle with this thought. Now if you don't believe me, what about keeping a diary? 
for the next week, when you spring out of bed first thing in the morning, especially on a bad day for you, will it be yourself or another person that you think of? And if you do think of another person, will you be thinking healthy thoughts about them or unhealthy thoughts? Now, it should be noted at this point that Paul is speaking to a specific problem that's happening in the Galatian church. These uh, Galatian Christians, these new Christians, were being pulled back into their old pre-Christian ways. In fact, there was a, a fraction in the church that was calling these Christians back to their old Jewish legalistic ways of behaving. It's the very thing that they'd broken the shackles of. And now, with an exaggerated spot response, the risk was they were going to go in the opposite direction and find themselves on a, a new, different, slippery slope. They were being tempted to abuse the message of their freedom in Christ to mean that they weren't required to have any restraint whatsoever in their lives. Shall we sin in order that God's grace may abound? By no means, says Paul elsewhere. Well, Paul's simple point was this. Freedom in Christ and freedom from old Pharisaic ways of living does not mean freedom from responsibility. In Christ, if anything, Paul is arguing here, our responsibility towards others is even greater than it ever was before. More about them and less about me. And of course, being one who serves was very much part of what it meant to be a Christ follower. Jesus reveals that to us over and over and over and over again in his earthly life. In fact, you might well recall that Jesus equated greatness with being a servant of others. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For many. Anyone who wants to be first must be last. They must be the servant of all. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And in our text, Paul is challenging, once again, this selfie culture that I spoke about last weekend. But this weekend, he's challenging a different temptation within that selfie, selfie culture, the temptation of self-service. In our text, Paul's speaking to correct the Galatian church's wonky theology, and he reminds them of the true reason for their spiritual freedom which Christ had died for. They were free so that they might be able to serve others humbly in love. I wonder if you remember that Paul taught the self-obsessed, self-serving church in Corinth a very similar message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he explains there that all gifts have been given by the Spirit, but these gifts were given, why? To serve the common good. They were not for self-service. They were not for our own profit, but they were given so that we could bless and that we could encourage others. His argument in 1 Corinthians goes on from chapter 12 into chapter 13, and Paul tells us if we have not love, then we have nothing. Without love, we are nothing. We've got nothing to give. Without love, we're a creaking old rusty gate or a clanging cymbal. Paul's reminding the Galatians, and through this, message, this passage, I sense God would challenge us today with the same principle. We're free in Christ so that we can love others. Not simply so that we'll love ourselves a bit more, but so that others would experience the love of God through us. Well, let's return for a moment to this whole idea of this uh, loving of others, serving of others being a battle. 
You see, I think this is really important when we get to application because it explains to us why it's so easy to be self-serving and why it's so hard to be other person serving. By saying all this about being in the flesh in verses 13 to 15, by which Paul means living a life in our own strength or determined to live by our own will, Paul is then setting up a contrast that comes in verses 16 to 18. Not loving their neighbours, instead consuming one another with biting and devouring, living by the flesh, is then contrasted by walking in the spirit, by walking in love, joy, peace, patience and all those other fruits. So Paul says in verse 16, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't live your way, but instead live Yahweh. See what I did there? (laughs) Don't live your way, live Yahweh. Walk by the Spirit. So what does all this flesh versus spirit stuff mean? Well, firstly, to walk has the idea of continuity and consistency, doesn't it? This is not a a stop-start running race. This is not some kind of a a fast-paced race. This is a walk. It's active. It's never standing still. It's constantly walking. And this walk that Paul is speaking about here, walking in the Spirit, covers all aspects of our conduct of life. And it means that we're walking at a pace which is sustainable. So walking, then, we can say, is what it is to live. Well, maybe you've heard yourself say uh, to another Christian on their faith journey, hey, how's your walk with God going? Or maybe you've asked someone, uh, how, how, how is it that, that you're walking in the Spirit? Well, whenever we ask these kind of questions, we're essentially espre- expressing an interest in each other's life with God and the ongoing rhythm of our relationship with Him. I wonder as you think about your own walk with Jesus, what does it look like? Does it look like a consistent walk or does it look like a stop-start race? Do you make yourself all hot and sweaty and exhausted, stop for a bit and then carry on or is your walk with Jesus consistent and steady? When Paul speaks today about walking by the Spirit, his big point is that we're not called to walk in our own strength. We're not called to walk with our own will or by our own resolve. Instead, we're to walk in time and in pace with the Spirit who equips us and resources us for all that he would call us to do. When we live by the Spirit, when we walk by the Spirit, the whole of our lives is lived in time with the Holy Spirit's empowerment and his guidance. Your plans, your desires, your decisions, your ambitions, the way you allocate your resources, the way you work, the way you play, the way you do everything is underpinned or under the umbrella of the leading of God's Spirit. The result of verse 16, living by the Spirit, is that we don't fall into the trap of verse 13, which is gratifying the desires of the, of the flesh. Which, as verses 19 to 21 point out, if you read on, living by the flesh doesn't look very pleasant. I'd encourage you to have a look at that list at some point later on today from verse 19. And if there's anything there that describes your lifestyle, the alarm bell ought to go off because it's a sign you're not walking in the spirit. But isn't it great too that the result of conducting our lives with the guidance of the spirit leads you to not gratifying the the, the desires of your flesh. And then Paul in verse 22 goes on to describe what walking in the spirit looks like. And to that list, I want to say, more, Lord, more, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. 
You see, Paul here is deliberately using the language of war because that's what we're involved in. We're involved in a war. The flesh and the spirit, they're in direct opposition, in conflict with one another. They have different goals and different purposes. He makes that point so clearly. So if you're a Christian here this morning or if you're a Christian as you watch us online, this war, this conflict will be somehow familiar to you. Maybe you can relate to this reality of the war that's going on inside you every single day. And if you don't have that, or if you're not feeling that way, would you please sell your secret? Would you please publish your book, create your YouTube channel? Because I can tell you, you will get very, very rich indeed if you sell your secret. Don't forget to tithe. Again, take a moment to read Galatians chapter 5 from verse 19 and you'll see what a life lived in the flesh can look like at its worst. But as you read on from verse 22, you also discover following another but what a life lived in the spirit looks like. And I know which one I prefer the look of. As I finish, I want to make four really, really quick points of application, which I think will help us answer those questions that I began with. What should a healthy servant's heart look like? How do we follow this biblical command to minister to the needs of others whilst at the same time not neglecting our own needs? Is burnout an inevitable consequence of serving another person effectively? Four ways I think we can serve others in love on a daily basis. And the first is this, is we need to get into the habit of practicing daily gratitude. If we don't want to get bogged down in feelings of rejection, in feelings of they didn't appreciate me, if we don't want to get bogged down in the fact that not always as we serve others do we get applause, then we need to focus our minds on things that we can and should be thankful for. Practice daily gratitude. A thankful heart is a joyful heart. And what I've discovered is the more thankful my heart is, the more joyful my heart is, and the easier it is for me to serve others. When I'm full of joy, serving others often becomes a joy. A key to serving well is serving with a grateful and a joyful heart. The second is this, and oh, doesn't this sound so old-fashioned and so yesterday? But I think the second thing is this, is to take a Sabbath. Would you please take a break? I know, I'm looking in the mirror. <laughs> Would you please take a break? Do you know that tired and weary people don't serve other people well? There was a reason why God paused on the seventh day to rest. There's a reason why God included honouring the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. There's a reason why God told his people that they should rest their fields every seventh year. It seems to me, and I know sometimes I'm guilty of this, that busyness is actually prized. When we talk to friends, it's almost like we brag about our huge workload, our overscheduled kids and our disconnected marriages as if it's something to celebrate. My sense is today is God would say, secondly, would you please take a break because tired people, ask my wife, my children are not patient, they're not kind, they're not self-controlled, they're not joyful and so on. In short, they're rude, they're in a hurry, they're overwhelmed, they simply don't have time for others. Let's give ourselves a break. And I believe that by taking a break, we avoid burnout. Thirdly, use your spiritual gifts. The amazing truth that's revealed to us in Scripture is that every single one of us who have come to faith in Christ have a gift which is God-given that we can use for the service of others. 
the unique nooks and crannies of who we are and who God has wired us to be. He's wired us that way for a purpose. And Paul reminds us elsewhere in our text that he's wired us that way in order that we'll be equipped to work within the body and to serve the body of Christ and even beyond. And I wonder if you know what your God-given spiritual gifts are. If you don't, can I encourage you to have a conversation with myself or with Kay, with your small group leader, with each other. Talk to your friends and I'll say to your friends, what is it that makes me come alive? And once you've seen that thing, you'll probably discover where your spiritual gift is. Because it seems to me that God rarely gives us a spiritual gift, which is a burden and a horrible thing to exercise. But often as we exercise our spiritual gifts, we feel joy rising up within us. Serve using your spiritual gifts. And again, I think when we serve within the context of our spiritual gifts, we can avoid burnout because we're doing something that we love, that we're not doing only in our own strength, but we're doing it too with the strength of God. So firstly, think about something to be grateful for. Have a heart of gratitude. Secondly, think about giving yourself a break just every now and again, at least once a week. Serve using your spiritual gifts. And then fourthly, I want to challenge us to serve within the context of community. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Paul says serve one another in love, the one another implies that service should happen somehow within the context of community. I've discovered that any time I give on my own and I live my life in isolation, somehow my energy gets drained incredibly quickly. We need others around us. We need a community of brothers and sisters who love us and cherish us to to pour words of encouragement back into us, especially when our tanks start to get empty. Hebrews 10, 24, 24, 25 says it so well. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together or as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our job as a body of believers, if we're going to love and serve one another well, is to be connected to church community to spur one another on and encourage one another. You've probably spotted this, but love is the really simple answer to all of my questions. Service without love at the centre most of the time leads to bad outcomes. But love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't dishonour others. It's not self-seeking, it's not self-serving. It's slow to anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. Love does not fail. Wow. It's no wonder, is it, that Paul says, serve one another and do it humbly in what? In love. Because love does not fail. We love, we serve, because God has so graciously loved and served us first. And as we love and as we serve others, the promise is he'll equip us by his spirit for the task that he's called us to. Doesn't that sound exciting? As we come out of lockdown, let's look for opportunities to love and serve one another as a church community, but even beyond that, to serve those who God gives us the privilege of having connections 
and networks with. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I know for sure that I need the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, it's only by your empowering, empowering and by your equipping that I have what it takes to love and serve those who are around me. Lord, I pray, would you please help me to remember to give thanks for all that you've given to me, for all the big and the small blessings in life even when we find ourselves in that place where we're not appreciated. Lord, would you guide us in our journey of faith to prioritise rest, to practise the Sabbath. Lord, I pray, would you help us to use the gifts and identify the gifts that you've given to us and to use them really well. But more than anything, Lord, I thank you. We thank you this morning for allowing us to be your hands and your feet in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.